All right. Well, uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to have you all here uh, this morning, both in this room and in the East Auditorium as well. And I would invite you all in both rooms to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own with you today, we'd invite you to use the one in the pew rack in front of you or in the East Auditorium, the ones that they're passing out. And uh, as you get that, if you don't have a Bible of your own at all, we'd invite you to take that uh, as your own as a gift from us to you to have uh, for future use, of course. And so as you turn there, um, as you can tell based on the uh, introductory video there, we have started or we are starting a new series today entitled Peace. And in anticipation of starting uh, this series this weekend, we put out an opportunity on Facebook for those of you to submit uh, pictures of scenes and settings that represent peace to you. And uh, we weren't able to grab all of them, but here's some of the ones that were submitted here. Um, we had someone submit a picture of a beach, lots of pictures of beaches. That seems to be a high place of peace. A flower. This is someone hiking uh, to a waterfall. Um, a baby. That can't go wrong with a baby. Uh, this one's cool. Father-son fishing. Uh, sunset. Lots of sunsets. Uh, everyone loves our central Illinois sunsets. Uh, set of stinky feet for some reason. Incredibly peaceful. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, my personal favorite uh, of area of peace would be um, the hammock. Uh, the hammock. That's me last Sunday after preaching, enjoying the hammock, uh, or as I like to call it, a giant net for catching lazy people. <laughs> and so as I look through these images, trying to discern a common denominator uh, as to what encompassed peace in all of those images, what struck me was not so much what each image contained, but actually what was absent in each of those images. And that what didn't exist in any of the images that were submitted uh, were the opposite of peace, and that is chaos. There was no chaos. There was no distraction or violence or noise or mess uh, or clutter. Uh, and that peace, as we collectively seem to understand it, has as much to do with what is present as it does to do with what is absent as um, represented in your pictures you submitted. And so peace is, it's one of those funny things that I don't know if this is the experience you have, but as you seek peace in your life, um, it's one of those things that uh, I don't have to convince you to want to be interested in to talk about today because it's something we're all looking for, whether in our, our just our day, maybe a sense of peace in our life, uh, or just in the world in general where it doesn't seem that our world and our daily life matches very often those images that we saw on the screen. And uh, it seems that when we try to pursue peace, I don't know if you found this to be true, but that the irony or the paradox is, is that sometimes the more you try to grab a hold of it, almost the more elusive it becomes. Like the harder you try, the harder it is to actually get a hold of. For example, maybe for you, I see a lot of students here in the room here this morning. Uh, maybe you've had that experience where you had a huge you know, midterm coming up or a big project at school, or maybe those of you in the workplace had a huge project for work and you put all your energy and investment into this and you, and you do your best and you, and you do well and you've you finished well and there's a sense after completing that project or getting through that test of ah, peace. There's some peace that comes with kind of finishing something. But the reality is uh, that reality only lasts about six seconds because then what comes rushing in is the reality of all the things that you have been ignoring as a result of putting your energy into that test or that project. And so your peace is, uh, it vanishes pretty quick. Or again, again, I think the most popular picture submitted on Facebook was a picture of a beach. And for many of us, you know, that is a setting of serenity and peace. And so maybe that's you, like just give me that beach chair reclined with a book in my hand 
that is, that's peace for me. But again, a little elusive because as set as you might get, you know, as soon as you get your book up and your chair reclined, 10 feet, you know, upwind of you, there's one of these guys that does one of these numbers with a towel. You ever seen that? You ever feel that? It's terrible. Yeah, it's like a sandstorm that hits you and you're like at dinner time, still chewing on the gristle of the sand from, uh, and so your peace is ruined. You think you had this peaceful moment, but it gets ruined at the snap of a towel. And so with that, um, what we realize is that peace can be an elusive thing. It seems to be a temporary thing that we can't hold on to for very long. But what we want to look at here this morning and throughout this whole series is actually how it is not only that you can achieve peace, but actually achieve a peace that is always with you by actually redefining what peace actually is. And so in order to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, but what we're going to discover is that peace, when it's redefined, is not just, you could say, a temporary mental uh, escape. It's not just a temporary mental state, but when understood correctly, it actually can be a permanent state of our reality. That peace redefined is not just a temporary mental state, but actually a permanent state of reality that can be achieved. And, uh, and so we're going to discover how we do that here in Ephesians 2. Uh, as the Apostle Paul, he's, this is a letter that's being written to a church, the church at Ephesus. And he's writing to them on the subject, how they can find peace that is permanent in their lives. And so we're going to discover how we can do that as well. So as we dive into Ephesians chapter 2, uh, just kind of a heads up as to how we're going to approach the text today and that we're going to, we're really going to dive in for a little while. It's going to be a, you could say a good old-fashioned Bible study where uh, I'll read a little and then we'll chat a little. Then we'll read a little, then I'll chat a little, then we'll read a little, then we'll chat a little. And it's going to take a while. We're going to get through uh, 19 verses here. So buckle up, get ready for some old-fashioned Bible study and hang with me for what is a lot of gold within this uh, text on the whole subject of peace, but you got to hang with it. Okay, you ready? That's a nod, a yes, we'll go. Okay, here we go. Esau Torim, you ready? ready? Ready. Awesome. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes to the church, which is us, says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, so the ruler of the kingdom of the air here, this is referring to Satan. And it says in other passages that Satan is the prince of this world. And prior to knowing Christ, that's the way we lived. We lived the way of the world. Um, but in fairness, maybe for those of you who don't know Christ today, and you're saying, okay, all I know is the way of the world out there. Maybe in fairness to you, you're here to discover. Maybe there is another way to live. And so kudos to you. This particular passage is written to a church for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord as to what life should look like. But for those of you who have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this is an opportunity to lean in and listen in. Here's what this life could look like for you. So that's what the Apostle Paul is going to paint for us. All right. So picking up in verse 3, it says, All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the way of the world, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so what the Apostle Paul reveals here is that prior to knowing Christ, prior to living his way, we did live the way of the world. We lived um, the way of our own way, which is sin and it's imperfect. And that imperfection 
that separates us from being able to have a relationship with our creator, with the God of the universe, because he is perfect. He is sinless. And so our imperfection separates us from having a relationship with God, which is bad news. But verse four, here comes the good news or the gospel. That's what that word literally means. It means good news. Here it comes. It says, but nevertheless, because of his great love for us, because of God's great love for us, God, and this is who God is, he who is rich in mercy, he made us alive. He made us alive with Christ that even though, even when we were dead in our transgressions, by grace, by his grace, you have been saved from that. Verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so if you can catch this, it's saying, okay, this is how things were and this is how things are now. Before you were separated from God because of your transgressions, but now there's a whole new reality for you eternally that you'll be raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Again, for those of you who follow Jesus and the opportunity for those of you who are not yet. Verse seven, all this in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us that came in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice. Verse eight, very, very well-known verse. For it is by grace that you have been saved. This is through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so we see as Paul is starting to reveal this eternal gift that we have in God, this idea of peace. He's hinting that this peace that we're going to be talking about, this peace that you're going to receive, you're not going to be able to go out and achieve it. You're not going to be able to go out and grab it and take it and make it happen. That this peace, hint, is coming, is actually a gift to be received rather than something to be achieved. And so it's a gift of God, it says in verse 8. Um, jumping down to verse 10. It says, For we... God does this, for we are God's handiwork, that are, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves, quote, the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Okay, that's a weird verse. Let's just call it what it is. Um, but summed up, what's going on in verse 11, it's really speaking to this reality of the Old Testament that God's people, the Jews, um, that one of the signs of their commitment or their covenant with God was circumcision. And so that was a sign of their commitment to God versus those who are, you would say, non-Jews or, as they say, Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Um, and so for those of us in the room, by and large, we are ethnically, I would assume very few of us, ethnically Jewish. So we would fall in the Gentile, the non-Jewish category. And so verse 12 goes on to speak to us who are non-Jews. It says this, we need to remember that as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we, we need to remember that at that time we were separate from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That as Gentiles, we are by and large throughout the story of scripture in the Old Testament, don't have access to God. But now, good news, verse 13, um, the gospel here comes again. But now in Christ Jesus, through Jesus alone, who you who were once far away have now been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, and this is a key verse here, for he himself is our, and say that word for me real loud, 
peace. There it is. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups, talking about Jews and Gentiles, who has made them one and has destroyed the barrier, has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He's done this by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And then, okay, Paul takes all of this and he sums it up in verse 17, boils it down by saying this is the point. He, Jesus, he came and preached peace. He came to preach peace to those of you who are far and to preach peace to those of you who were near. Meaning the peace of God is available to everyone. The Jews, the Gentiles, male, female, slave free, as it says in another passage, it's now available to everyone. This is new territory because of Jesus Christ. Because verse 18, through him, through Jesus, now we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his, of God's household. Whew, okay. So, This good old-fashioned Bible study that unpacks really the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, really what this has to do with the subject of peace and what that has to do with our lives is that frankly, this passage, this good news, it actually has everything to do, everything to do with finding peace in our lives because it is a redefinition of peace. This passage redefines what peace actually is, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you were not at peace with God. You, it says um, in other passages, we were enemies of God because of our sin, that that has been changed, that we have through faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, we can have a relationship with God. We can be reconciled to God, be made at peace with God that lasts both in this life and for all of eternity. And so what we discover is that peace is not just this temporary state of being that is kind of an escape from reality that we can go out and achieve and grab hold of, but instead, as it says in Ephesians 2, it's a gift, and that gift is permanent. That gift is a permanent state of your reality that has everything to do with peace both in this life and forever. So bringing this kind of to us in our actual living of lives, I would say you as followers of Jesus Christ, have probably tapped into that peace, maybe not quite articulated this way, but you've known it's there based on the gift of God that is in you. It's why when some of you, when you've been through, and I've heard it, through some of the worst of life circumstances, through a huge um, change or a big move or in face of a job loss or coming up against a big surgery in your life or some other challenge, I've heard you say, yes, but by the grace of God, You say, you can say to yourself, you can say to others, I am at peace. I have a peace because it's a peace that says in Philippians that transcends earth's understandings. It's a peace that comes from as a gift of God. It's a total redefining of what peace actually is. Um, In a very personal way here of late, I've been able to witness this peace take place uh, in the life of a family in our community. About six weeks ago, I received a call on a Friday morning uh, that a young boy uh, by the name of Jackson Scharf, uh, some of you know this story, um, had uh, collapsed as a result of an aneurysm. 
and he was rushed uh, to the hospital where um, they were able to do emergency surgery to remove part of his skull uh, to relieve pressure on the brain uh, where surgeons say that even five more minutes uh, would have proved fatal. And so in the last six weeks, uh, Jackson has spent more than half of that time uh, in a medically induced coma. And uh, here since that, uh, three weeks ago or so, he, um, he has, he's come back, he is conscious, and he is taking steps in rehabilitation towards being able to have a surgery to remove that aneurysm uh, actually this upcoming Wednesday. And my relationship to uh, the Sharp family is, is it's kind of a compound one in how I, I, I'm involved in their lives in that they know me as one of the pastors here at First Christian Church, though they're actually involved in another church here in town. Uh, but more so, really, my relationship uh, to them is, is more so through sports and that I've had the opportunity to be one of Jackson's coaches, uh, both in uh, basketball and football here with Coach Eric, who's in the room, uh, over the last several years. And it was, it was funny, the day of the, the incident when we were down in Springfield with the family, um, kind of walking alongside them throughout that day, the medical staff came looking for me and they walked in the medical, the family waiting room, and they really didn't know what to call me because they, I kind of had a duality of roles. And so the, the lady sticks her head in his and says, um, we're, can we speak with a pastor c- coach? Pastor coach? Is, <laughs> and so that name has stuck, uh, which is not a, too bad of a title, pastor coach. I've decided I've been called much worse many times in my life. And so I can handle that. And so getting to walk alongside the Sharp family um, as, as a pastor coach here over the last uh, six weeks, the thing that has struck me the thing that has been profound to me, that is, I, I spend time with particularly Jackson's mom, Sandy, is her disposition, her, her language, the words she actually chooses to describe in the face of one of the most horrific situations that any of us could ever imagine. She says, yeah, but Brian, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. And then she goes on to say, and it's all God. It's all God. And uh, that is a redefining of what peace actually is. Because there's no hammock in that story. There's no, there's no beach scene because that's not what peace truly is. Peace is not a temporary mental escape from reality, but peace is a permanent state of our reality, both in this life and the next, through Jesus Christ. Now, even as I share that story, don't misunderstand me. I am in no way suggesting that the peace of Christ suggests that we should ignore the weight of pain and struggle in life. Um, and so don't let me commit to you what I've called before, and I'll call it again. Don't let me commit ministerial malpractice, where you know a few verses, a few comments, and a touching story in some way suggest that I'm saying Jesus is going to take away all your problems, all your pain, all your struggles here in this life. In fact, Jesus didn't even commit to that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so while Jesus doesn't promise to take away all of our problems, our difficulties, our our struggles we have in life, recognize still, though, that the peace of Christ, while not the absence of these things, is in fact, when redefined, the greater reality in the midst and in the face of these things. Does that make sense? That Jesus says, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Meaning I'm not gonna take all your trouble away, but in the midst of those troubles, I am in my peace that I leave with you is the greater truth, the greater reality. And so, as I thought about a way for us to, to internalize, to make personal, to make practical this otherwise 
I'm afraid, elusive idea of, oh, peace and all these things, uh, that peace would actually become a permanent reality in your Monday through Friday um, versus, you know, just, again, a temporary escape that we try to get to once in a while. Um, I want to leave you with uh, a framework, a framework that has served me well over many years here in my journey of walking with Christ, and I trust and hope will serve you well. And the framework has everything to do with a very simple grammatical choice. And that is, it comes to whether or not in your life you capitalize certain words or you use a lowercase letter at the beginning of a word to which you're thinking, what is this guy talking about? Okay, hang with me. So in your Bible, you'll notice that as you read scriptures, you'll find the word God, for one example, and you will find several times where the word God is capitalized with a capital G, but you also find the word God with a lowercase g. Um, And when you see that, it means two entirely different things simply based on the fact on whether or not that word is capitalized. One example, we find actually both words in one verse in Deuteronomy 32, uh, 32, 17. It's on the screen. It says this, that they, speaking about the Jews of the Old Testament that we were looking at earlier, says that they sacrifice to false gods which are not God. In other words, they sacrifice to false little g gods, which are not the actual capital G God, Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God of the Bible. It says little g gods that are not known, that had not been known, little g gods that have just recently appeared, little g gods your ancestors did not fear. In other words, these little g gods are not actually gods at all. They are idols, they are man-made, and they um, were mistakenly and and errantly followed by the people of the Old Testament sinning against God in that way. Versus the capital G, God, the one true God of the Bible. So you see, same word, but actually, that has nothing to do with starting a sentence. It's actually entirely different meanings based on whether or not the G is capitalized or not. And so the idea is we can take this kind of lowercase versus uppercase mentality into other words that apply to our life. For example, when it comes to your life, of, uh, when it comes to truth, do you build your life only on your own experiences? They say experience is the best teacher. These would be your own little T-truths that you've concluded in life. Or do you build your life on God's capital T-truths that come from his word? Or for example, when it comes to the problems that we face, do you tackle those problems with your own um, little s solutions? Or do you tackle them with what God's capital S solutions would say? Um, in your life. And so here's an example of how this might play out. Say for you in the life of this church, or maybe in the life of another church, you had a really close friend in the church, but that friend, let's say they backstabbed you. They, they just did you wrong. And so your little T truth would be to conclude that, well, I guess people at church can't be trusted. And your little S solution might be, I'm just not going to have close relationships at church. I will come, I will serve my time in an hour in a pew shoulder to shoulder and then leave and that's it. But When you face and look in the mirror of God's word, you recognize that, okay, God's capital T truth is that, you know what? It says in Romans 12, we're to be devoted to one another. We're to be committed to one another. And so I need to follow the church's mission of, I need to get involved in growing together and serving together. I need to step out in faith. Um, So that's maybe God's capital S, uh, that's his capital T truth and capital S solution. And then even more specifically, when it came to that incident, that person, maybe you need to embrace God's capital S solution of, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, to extend forgiveness to that person, okay? Or maybe something not as heavy, maybe um, at work. Maybe you're the kind of person who you kind of go out to dinner one night, you get some leftovers, and you bring your foam, you know, doggy bag 
box thing of leftovers to serve as your lunch for the next day at church, or at church, at, I work at church, so that works for me. Uh, at wherever you work, this is getting close to home, I guess. And so you bring your leftovers, uh, but you've discovered that someone in the office has been raiding the lounge fridge and been eating your leftovers, been eating your lunch, that that is your small t truth. And so maybe for you, this is your small s solution. <laughs> I'm sorry, when I saw that, I decided that is the funniest picture I've ever seen, ever. And so, you know, maybe that is God's, you know, capital S solution to that. You know, to be a good steward of your fried rice from Fuji, which is good stuff, you should count every single one of them. I don't know. So you get the idea, this idea of juxtaposing God's, you know, big T truth and his capital S solutions with, uh, against our little T truth and our little S solutions. And so let's take that mentality now to our subject of the day, this idea of peace. That when we look at the word peace, we live in a world that we are barraged constantly by promises, by promises of products that will give you this peace, that this, you know, this, this vacation, if you can finally make it here, that's the place of peace. Or if you can you know, achieve this pleasure, that that will be your peace. If you, can, if you can just get to this amount of money in your compensation, or you can get your retirement nest egg to this point, then you can have peace about being well taken care of says the world, that if you maybe reach a certain status, that if you can kind of reach this certain threshold, then then you'll have peace. But it's all lowercase. It is all a lowercase, temporary, fleeting. Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a chasing after the wind. It is a lowercase peace that does not last. And instead, we can, in Christ, receive in God's capital T truth, it says in Philippians 4, 7, a capital P peace that transcends this world's understanding, that trumps this world's understanding. And as we saw in Ephesians 2, that peace, it has a name, and his name is Jesus. He is, it says, he says he is our peace. Um, he is the permanent reality that transcends the difficult circumstances of life, that trumps the lower KP piece that we come to in our lives. And so in an effort to help remind us of this, of God's capital P piece in the face of life circumstances and the, the uh, temporary little, lowercase P piece that we get offered in this world, I, I put in your program, actually, I, that's a lie. I did not actually put these in your program. Some very nice ladies in the front office put these in your program. These little stickers uh, that have our series logo on it. So there's a couple of them in there for you and others, or if you want to stick them in a couple places. Uh, and what you'll notice on that series logo is one difference, and that is this triple underline. And for those of you here in the room, you know, especially students who aren't too far removed from the editing of papers in your life, what does a triple underline under a letter mean? That's right, capitalized. I got a hand raise in here. East Auditorium, you guys raising your hand before you speak? That's good. Okay, yeah, that's right. The triple underline means capitalize the letter. And so my encouragement would be to you that in, again, the world of life circumstances and the promises of peace that will not last, that you might stick this somewhere, that you need reminding of God's capital P peace, a permanent peace that transcends the temporary peace that this world offers. And so maybe it's first thing of the day on the bathroom mirror. Maybe it's driving to work or wherever you drive on your dashboard. Maybe, um, the, maybe it's a, on the back of your wallet or on the back of your phone, someplace where you'll see it. Um, I, stuck, I got mine a week ago and I've stuck it in my little work portfolio and it's served me very well, actually. 
Um, And so may it serve you as a reminder that in the face of these things, that you can tap into God's capital P, peace. And so wherever you stick that, um, again, you'll find it in the program there in both rooms. Uh, Let me just close our time, uh, close the message by uh, reading over you um, several passages that really speak to what this eternal peace looks like. Because this was the struggle I had in preparing this message was just choosing one text. uh, Because there's a richness and a whole lot in God's word, his capital T truth about capital P, peace in your life. And so you might want to write these references down if they'll serve you later. Um, But again, I just want to kind of take a few moments just to read these passages over you and and let them just kind of wash over you a redefining, a totally different view of what peace can actually be, again, both in this life and for all of eternity. And so Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. We have this promise. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What a powerful statement. That in the midst of anything that could be happening on this earth, no one can take away the fact that you are reconciled to God eternally. That always trumps everything. What do we have to be afraid of? First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love kind of the way the words come out in the King James Version. Cast your cares upon the one who cares for you. John 14, 27, the words of Jesus himself. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, And so don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Colossians 3.15, the Apostle Paul again, uh, let the peace of Christ, let that rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, the Lord be with you all. Romans fifteen thirteen says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you put your trust in him so that you may then overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. This one's very, very practical. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if we stop there, that's not real helpful. You worrying? Don't. Don't be anxious. Just stop. No, but it goes on, thankfully. It says, but with that, take that worry. And in every situation, by prayer and petition. And so that's that's the turnaround that we take our worry, we take our anxiety, we take our concerns. And by prayer and petition, we take it, we offer it up to the Lord. That when we get a glance at that sticker. We're not just like going to gaze on the capital P piece, but it's going to be a reminder to actually turn that over to the Lord in prayer right there to be able to offer that up in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Go ahead and present that to God. Present your request to God. And then here's the promise, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding that will actually guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a great one. Psalm 29.11 says, it's the Lord that gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. 
And I've got a few more that I want to continue to read, um, but it ties very closely into what we practice each week here in communion. And so uh, if you're preparing communion for us today, both here in this room and in the East Auditorium, uh, thank you for doing that. I invite you to go and do that now. Uh, as we read a prophecy regarding who this Jesus, whom we're going to remember here in just a moment, who he is. A prophecy before he even came in Isaiah 9, 6. We're going to celebrate this big at Christmas. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then this son, Jesus Christ, this is why he came, Romans 5. He came that God might demonstrate his own love for us in this, that while even we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we then be saved through his life? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. Because of our faith in him and what he's done, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more, back to our, our main text here in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, the redefining of peace. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. And so each week, to ensure we'll never forget how that was made possible, uh, we choose to remember being obedient to Jesus in the way he invited us to remember. Uh, with his original disciples on the night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed before he went to death, uh, is an invitation to us as the church moving forward that um, he took bread and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Eat this, remembering what I've done for you. In the same way, he took the cup, saying this cup is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And it says, whenever we eat this bread, drink this cup, that we're proclaiming this truth. We're proclaiming the peace of God that came through his sacrifice. So as we do that, you don't have to be a member here at First Christian Church to uh, participate. Uh, but if Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of your life, uh, then we invite you to remember him. And if he's not, uh, make sure you have a conversation with somebody here um, on staff or whoever about uh, what that might look like for you. And so let's pray as we prepare our hearts uh, to remember him appropriately. Father, we give you thanks that the peace that we can have access to by faith through your sacrifice that um, gives us this gift that is of you and not of ourselves um, is only made possible by your sacrifice. And so we are mindful of that. We, in an effort not to forget, will actively remember as we take the bread and take the cup. And so Lord, we thank you that as we ask for peace, and it says that we receive not because we ask not, even though it's me saying I'm asking on behalf of us all, may we Awaken to the reality of your capital P peace um, in every moment of our lives as we're reminded um, in the face of a world that offers a temporary one. We need your help in that, and that's why we pray for it. In the name of Jesus.